Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, let me echo uh, Taylor's words of welcome. We are delighted that you are here this morning. For those of you who are joining us in person in this room, for those of you joining us online, uh, what an incredible opportunity we share together Sunday after Sunday as we worship our God. Got to tell you that I'm especially grateful to be here this morning. Uh, Debbie and I spent the last week in Kentucky, uh, my mother's death about five weeks ago, and my brother and I, along with uh, uh, some help from folks there, went through her house, cleaning out uh, her house, and then Debbie and I were in a U-Haul truck for 21 hours, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, coming back to Lubbock. And uh, so I'm sitting this morning for a variety of reasons. Uh, One, because of the text that we are continuing to explore in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus sat as he taught, Uh, but I'm also sitting because I'm still tired. Uh, And I'm also uh, warning you on the front end that if I start shaking this morning, it's because I'm imagining I'm still behind the wheel of a U-Haul truck. And so I pray that doesn't happen. I look forward to the nap that I'll take this afternoon. Uh, So many things going on in our world right now, and I want to begin with a prayer in just a moment. want you to be aware, if you have not heard the news, our dear brother Bob Wooten passed away early this morning, and so we extend our love and blessings to the entire Wooten family. Uh, We also learned this morning that Jim Bob Connor's father died unexpectedly uh, last evening, and so we also want to remember uh, that family. Uh, We're still walking through this extraordinary season, the coronavirus and all of the different implications that are a part of that. Uh, My guess is that most everyone in this room knows someone who has contracted the virus somewhere along the way, and so we continue to pray for healing and for recovery and for an end to the virus. And we certainly today, as citizens of this country, want to lift up our president and his wife and others who are elected officials who are battling the virus as well. And so would you join with me and let's pray as I begin this morning. Uh, Father, we're so grateful for the sweet privilege of being together as your children uh, to worship you, to honor you. Uh, We pray, God, just as we have uh, shared together in song this morning, that we are reminded that you are the one who is mighty to save. You are the one who turns our mourning, who turns our challenges uh, into incredible things. And so, God, even in the midst of uh, a pandemic, we're grateful for your faithfulness and for your work and for the good things that are happening for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, Father, we lift up the Wooten and Connor families today and pray blessings of peace and comfort upon them and the loss of a loved one. Uh, We likewise, again, Father, pray for all of those who've been affected by this virus, for families who've lost loved ones, uh, for folks even within our midst who are struggling with the virus. We pray for healing, and we certainly lift up President Trump and his wife and all of those uh, in Washington who've been affected as well. Would you bring healing? Would you bring an end to the virus? And yet, God, in the midst of all of this, again, we trust your presence, and we know that you are at work in ways far beyond what we can even imagine. God, we offer today to you, praying that we will be a people of mercy. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, as I have done on a couple of occasions during this series, let me invite you to imagine the scene again this morning, the opening lines of Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. 
when Jesus saw the crowds, and chapter 4 tells us that large crowds had begun to follow Jesus, uh, the healing, the teaching taking place in villages in Galilee. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. In one respect, each one of those first three Beatitudes challenges us to humble ourselves before God, to empty ourselves of pride or arrogance or anything else that would keep us from being humble servants before God, to humble ourselves before God and then to step into our world in order to walk alongside those who are brokenhearted, those who are struggling, to mourn with those who mourn. And as we mourn with those who mourn, to do so with a spirit that, that represents meekness, to do so with a gentle spirit, to never look at our position in life, no matter what our position is, to never look at our position in life as a position that gives us the right to take advantage of others. We empty ourselves before God in order to receive from God because the very next beatitude, the beatitude that Aaron explored with you last Sunday says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, for they will be filled. Filled with what? Well, on one hand, we might say because these are folks who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness and justice, they're going to be filled with righteousness. They're going to be filled with a spirit of justice. But let me take it even a step further. What does it mean to be filled with righteousness? And that's where I think the next three Beatitudes give us tons of clues. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are the very ones that God fills with mercy, that God fills with purity of heart, that God fills with a desire for peace. Uh, similar to our discussion of the fruit of the Spirit earlier in this series, when we submit to the Spirit, the Spirit of God grows the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And yet we must be willing to acknowledge on the front end that it's not always easy to submit to the Spirit. And it's not always easy to be a people who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you see, if we're honest, far too often we still want to be in control. Far too often we use our positions to our own advantage. We resist showing mercy. We resist being peacemakers. And yet God is still at work prompting us, encouraging us, calling us to submit to the Spirit so that the Spirit might do its work. Jesus is challenging us through these Beatitudes, acknowledging, referencing, calling, reminding us that the ones that God truly honors and blesses, the ones upon whom God's favor rests, are the ones who desire to be filled with righteousness and justice. And yet it's a journey, sometimes a tough journey. 
I love this illustration from C.S. Lewis, and many of you are fans of his writings. C.S. Lewis says, imagine for a moment that you are a living house. God comes in in order to rebuild the house. At first, perhaps you understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You know that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, God starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts, in a way that does not seem to make sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought that he was going to build. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought that you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But God is building a palace, or to use Paul's language in Ephesians 2, God is building a masterpiece. And yet that building process is sometimes not easy. And so here again, the language. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because those are the ones that God fills with mercy, that God fills with purity of heart, that God fills with a desire for peace. And so is it any wonder that Jesus would say, blessed, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And so we come today to what is lesson number six in this series that we're calling Near. Asking the question, what does it mean to be present in a world that far too often is just downright messy? Lesson number six, but beatitude number five this morning, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Or I love the way the message paraphrase puts it, you are blessed when you care. And how desperately our world needs folks who care. You are blessed when you care. Maybe a place for me to begin this morning is by simply defining the word mercy. What is mercy? What does it mean to be merciful? Well, let me begin with one dictionary definition of the word. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness that we extend to someone. Listen very carefully. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness that we extend to someone when it is within our power to punish or to harm. In other words, rather than punishing or harming, or might I add, rather than ignoring or excluding or exploiting, we choose to extend compassion. We choose to extend forgiveness. We choose to extend love. We choose to care. And again, oh, how desperately our world needs something as simple as folks caring for one another. If you were to look up synonyms for the word mercy, you would find words like, and by the way, all of these may fit a particular context, words like leniency, compassion, grace, pity, charity, forgiveness, forbearance, patience. Some of those words obviously have deep connections with one another, but in other respects, there are going to be distinctions. And yet all of those words in one way or another describe different facets of God's love for us. And so connections between words like mercy and grace and love and forgiveness and compassion 
But again, I want you to notice the distinctions. Let's talk about mercy and grace for just a moment. Words that are closely connected, words that again communicate different facets of God's care and love for us, and yet words that communicate distinctions. For example, grace might be described as a gift we do not deserve. And we celebrate the fact that God's grace in abundance is poured out upon us. We do not deserve that kind of gift. That's one reason it's called a gift. Grace is a gift we don't deserve. Mercy might be described as not getting the punishment or the consequences that we do deserve, that we deserve because of our behavior. Thus, the statement that maybe you've heard numerous times, I prefer mercy, not justice. Justice as a legal term means I get what I deserve. Now, if I'm not guilty, then I'm all for justice. It's some of those situations where I am guilty, where my preference is mercy rather than justice. I love the way one writer describes it. Love, or he describes mercy in this way, love that responds to human need in unexpected and sometimes even in surprising ways. In fact, think about God's mercy toward us for just a moment, especially in light of those contrasts that I've just tried to paint. Mercy means we do not receive the consequences that we deserve because of our behavior, because of our sin. 1 Peter chapter 1 Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and His great mercy. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. One chapter later, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's on that basis that Paul in Romans chapter 12 would encourage us to holy living. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then this great paragraph from Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, listen, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Three words that Paul uses almost interchangeably and yet with those distinctions, God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. And did you notice how Ephesians 2 in beautiful ways gives us a clear indication of what mercy is? We were deserving of wrath, We were dead in our transgressions, but God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ. When we were dead in transgressions, God made us alive in Christ. Now, if I did nothing else this morning but remind you that God is a God of love and grace and mercy, our time would have been well spent. In fact, we pause often in song to celebrate the mercy and the grace and the love of God. But as much as I love talking about the mercy and the grace and the love of God toward you, toward us, toward me, as much as I love talking about it, may I remind you that this beatitude invites us, calls us, in fact, to demonstrate that same kind of mercy toward others. God's favor, Jesus says, rest on those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are merciful. And so in the few minutes that I have remaining, let's think about that in two different directions. First, there's an incredible principle found in the book of James, chapter 2. Mercy triumphs over judgment or condemnation. Listen to James's language. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. It is the recognition that all of us are going to be judged. We're going to be judged according to the law. It's a law that gives freedom, but we're going to be judged according to the law. Now, the question is, how do we in turn treat others? James says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has, been, who has not been merciful. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. And so mercy triumphs over judgment. In our conversations with one another, in our relationships with one another, we can often lose sight of what matters most. Hear me clearly, even Christians can be so harsh, so judgmental, so condemning. Maybe our posture is, well, Barry, we've got to stand for what is right. Okay, fair enough. But if standing for what is right means that we are harsh and judgmental and condemning of others, then we have missed the point. A couple of examples from the ministry of Jesus, from the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and, and so Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. You know the Gospels well enough to know that Jesus often associated with tax collectors and sinners, even sitting at the same table with them to have dinner with them. And often we discover that the religious leaders were critical of Jesus because of that kind of posture. Same thing here. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? As if to say, if he's really a teacher from God, he wouldn't associate with this kind of folk. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. Quotation from Hosea chapter 6. In fact, language that is very similar to a lot of the prophetic language where the prophets will say, you can bring this abundance of sacrifices to God, but God is not pleased because of your reluctance to show mercy and justice and love toward others. And so Jesus says, go and learn what this statement means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Chapter 12 in Matthew, Jesus will quote that same text from Hosea. When folks in chapter 12 are critical of Jesus healing someone on the Sabbath day. And Jesus will remind them that as valuable as the Sabbath day is, there is a greater principle. And that greater principle is for good to be done. And he will declare in that context, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. But then one that may be, may be even more indicting. Matthew chapter 23, in that series of woes that Jesus extends to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, men and dill and cumin, some of the smallest garden herbs. You're, you're so particular about making sure you tithe. Well, that's good. But he says, you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. I want you to hear me clearly. We as a church need to do our best to honor Scripture. And that is a high calling every day of our lives. But if I have to choose between mercy and judgment, I'm going to err on the side of mercy. Because you see, there is a greater principle at work. The words of Jesus in Matthew 23, don't misunderstand. He's not encouraging anyone to neglect the law, even, even tithing those small garden herbs. But if we do that at the expense of showing justice and mercy and faithfulness, we have failed miserably. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, the Bible says. Second, second direction, while the two words are not identical, there is such a close connection between showing mercy and extending forgiveness. In fact, I would argue that at its very core, mercy is all about forgiveness. And so here's some other words from Jesus a bit later in the Sermon on the Mount. As he teaches his disciples to pray, one of the lines is, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, every time we read that line, we ought to let it sink in deeply. Forgive us Oh God, just as we have forgiven others. Do we really mean that when we speak those words? God, we want you to forgive us. We want you to treat us in the same way that we treat those who've wronged us. Kind of the footnote to that prayer, Jesus says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, grab hold of that. If you forgive others, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. Pretty serious stuff. Circle back to the Beatitude. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. What an incredible promise. They will be shown mercy. Shown mercy by whom? Well, obviously, we're going to be shown mercy by God, but I also think when we extend mercy to others, we help create the kind of atmosphere that leads others to showing mercy as well. 
an atmosphere of mercy, not judgment, an atmosphere of mercy, not condemnation. And so, church, what kind of atmosphere are we creating? Are we creating an atmosphere of mercy or an atmosphere of judgment and condemnation toward others? Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But you've got to stay with that promise because if we're going to be shown mercy when we extend mercy, does not the flip side hold true as well? If we do not show mercy, how can we expect to be recipients of mercy? And so here's the challenge as we continue to walk through these Beatitudes. It's a simple challenge, and yet it is a tough challenge because sometimes we are so resistant. The challenge is extend mercy. In fact, let me share with you several passages as I close this morning, and I would simply invite you to let the passages sink in as we think about this challenge of drawing near to others in a messy world, a messy world that desperately needs mercy. And so here are the challenge in these texts from Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And I wonder how often we do the same. Oh, I know what the text says, but I want to be able to justify my behavior. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? As if to say, Jesus, if you can draw this sharp line between who my neighbor is and who my neighbor is not, then I'll love my neighbor because I'm commanded to love my neighbor, but I've got permission then to not love everybody. And Jesus teaches this parable we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and and went away, uh, leaving him half dead. A priest, religious leader, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, listen to the words Jesus uses, he took pity on him. One of those synonyms for mercy. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave, the, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Now, If I were preaching a full sermon on this parable, I'd go in a lot of different directions. But it is kind of curious how the man responds. He doesn't respond by saying, well, the Samaritan, because he probably couldn't bring himself to say Samaritan. He despised Samaritans. And so in response to Jesus' question, who was neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, the expert replied, the one who had 
mercy on him. The one who cared. He didn't even know the man. And yet he showed mercy. A messy world that desperately needs followers of Christ who care. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. I think that echoes the words of the prophet Micah. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Or perhaps the words of Jesus as he draws the Sermon on the Mount to a close, in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For, by the way, that's what sums up the law and the prophets. You treat others the way you want to be treated. May I paraphrase that? You treat others the way you want to be treated even if they don't reciprocate, even if they don't respond appropriately, even if they don't treat you the way you ought to be treated. You treat others, no matter what, the way you want to be treated. So how do you want to be treated? My guess is that every one of us in this room would say, we want to be treated with grace and love and mercy. And again, that's exactly what our world needs. Maybe more so from followers of Christ than anyone else. Mercy rather than judgment. Mercy rather than condemnation. And so blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray together. God, I can only confess for myself. I I read those words, blessed are those who show mercy, and it sounds so simple. And yet, if I'm honest, it is one of the greatest challenges that I face that I suspect we all face. Because it is so easy to judge. It is so easy to condemn. Rather than humbling self and walking alongside others and showing mercy. And so God, help us to be a people of mercy. In the name of Christ, amen.